Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden is made in upstate New York by an employee-owned company that is committed to making artist materials of the highest quality. You can find more about Golden at goldenpaints.com. Kadar Brock is an artist born in New York and who currently lives and works in Brooklyn. He received his BFA from the Cooper Union School in 2002. His work has been featured in shows at NYG in Brooklyn, Blackball Projects in Brooklyn, Patron in Chicago, Vigo Gallery in London, Praz de la Vallade in Paris, Almin Rec in Brussels, and the Whole Gallery in New York City, the Flag Foundation, Gallerist in Istanbul, Bleecker Street's Art Club in New York City, and the Detroit MoCA, amongst many others. He also has an upcoming solo show with Patron in the Lower East Side in September. We met at my studio, which is around the corner from his, for a studio visit swap and a talk about everything from candy to new age, magic the gathering, getting lost in nature, and much more. Here's our conversation. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) This is cool. I don't really eat a lot of candy usually. (laughs) I I never eat that stuff. I think, you know what happened when I was a kid? Yeah. My mom worked for a lady who owned a candy shop. Mm. Or I don't know if she owned it. She worked at it. And we would always have... They, we used to call it hardtack. Like the hard candies. Yeah, yeah, Bowls like, of it. Like the like strawberries and the pineapples and the yep. like this, that, and the other. Or root beer ones. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, hard. Like you can't chew on them. You just have to suck them. Yeah. And we used to have bowls of those around <clears throat> 24-7. Because we would get it for free. Right. So I think in like three months I maxed out. Yeah. And then the, the, the taste of them made me want to throw up. Yeah. But my friends would come over and, and they'd, they'd be, be like, like what? I'd like watch them like stuffing it in their jacket pockets. <laughs> they loved it. But I think from that moment on, I just, I got over candy. Yeah. I can't do it. Like chocolate I can do in small, small amounts, but not like candy, candy. We're mostly in the same. I mean, not that I had a candy store, but my mom just never gave me sugar growing up. Mm-hmm. Like... I was only allowed to eat like grape nuts and Nutrigrain in the morning or like, nuts. like, uh, like corn cakes. And she was just, I mean, she was like a total hippie. So it was just like, you know, eating rice and beans and this, that, and the, like just kind of very plain vegetarian ish like food. And so like, I just never developed a taste for it. Oh, really? Which is that, like, I just never really got into it. Like I would be psyched if I like went to my grandparents' house and like got to eat like Lucky Charms or whatever. But right. that was like you know, so infrequent that it just, it just kind of like novelty. Yeah. It just kind of like passed as an adult. I just, it became something that I just didn't really care about. Like whatever I would go buy, like, uh, you know, like whatever sour strings and all that kind of crap when, you know, at the corner store when I was a kid, but yeah, it just wasn't something I got into. So I guess it was funny. a parenting win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hated it when I was a kid, but now as an adult, I'm like, ah, I guess I'm thankful for that. Like that worked out. Okay. Right. You're not you know? always wanting to eat Twinkies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have no interest in it. I think the parenting loss on my side was um, I didn't like candy, but I would like like other junk like chips. Yeah, like I can mow down a giant bag of potato chips. Oh yeah, yeah. That's like my that's my vice. Yeah, and every time I drive like on a long drive, <laughs> and there's a truck stop. You know, oh, you yeah. can only get like three things at a truck stop. Yeah, 
And What's your go-to chip on the? <laughs> I like the. Well, there's a couple of different brands that make it, but the flaming hot, like the really, really spicy ones. I have a, I have a soft spot for flaming hot Cheetos. They're just Those like so totally good. brutal, but they, they're so incredible. They cake your hand. Oh, it yeah. can't be good. Yeah, because your hands get this orange that never comes off. I mean, not to be too too graphic, but I mean, it's really the day after that it gets. Oh yeah, <laughs> gets <you. laughs> I don't know so when tasty. I. They have kind of a an aggregate effect to where the more you eat, you start sweating a little bit. Yeah. If you go, and it's hard not to eat a whole bag of those things. Well, I mean, I think, I think those Cheetos specifically have such like, you know, like all those types of foods are engineered, right? Like yeah. they, uh, you know, they've done like data analysis on like flavor saturation points and like how to get it so that there's like enough flavor where it tastes totally insane and gets your brain going, but like not too much to the point where you're like, all right, I'm satiated. Right. Like all that shit's engineered. Yeah. Yeah. And like. Cheeto, I mean, Cheetos and Doritos are just like so, they're like, you know, uh, scientific marvels. Well, isn't, yeah, isn't Cool Ranch like the, yeah. the pinnacle addictive exactly. chip? Yeah. I remember? mean, Lay's faces up to it. They say no one can eat just one. They're pretty much telling you, yeah, you that open they're this bag and you're going to have addicted. a problem. Yeah, it's totally weird. <laughs> there are some like big uh, article in the Times that I always go back to, partly because I have this friend who like... He used to live, he lived in like, uh, kind of over by Woodhull. Mm-hmm. And this was, Jesus, must have been almost 10 years ago now. Um, but he would say like, I don't know, he's like, yeah, just go to the quarter store and eat Lunchables. Oh, man. Like Lunchables was this thing. And so we started calling them Brunchables because it was like, <laughs> we're trying to make it sound like, like better for him. Right. You know a little I mean? higher class. He was kind of like joking. It became this like kind of gag. But um in this article, they talk about how Lunchables were designed as this kind of like way for Oscar Mayer to get rid of extra meats and to like a, a way for Oscar Mayer to then also access a new market by branding them towards like moms and kids. Yeah. And it's just like, they're like the fucking worst possible thing for you, but the they're sodium just dump. literally designed by, you know, by committee to be appealing through advertising and like through like certain flavor points and this, that, and the other. And it's just like the whole kind of story behind that type of food and then knowing that I grew up as a kid like seeing ads for that and be like oh man mom don't come on get me the lunchables right, and she right. was just like no way like here's a sack of vegetables <laughs> you know, that's a good mom like, that whole like <laughs> dynamic is so wild they're still on the shelf yeah for sure and the shelf life is probably like you know eight years before they expire or something <laughs> at least yeah those things are designed for the apocalypse yeah exactly. you could find lunchables like who knows I guess when things go down, you might want to yeah. buy a couple boxes of Lunchables. Might, might just be eating Lunchables. It's like meat that's shelf-stable. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be fighting polar bears off for Lunchables. Oh, man. Oh, jeez. How did we get on to Lunchables? Uh, candy. Oh, yeah, the candy. Looking at candy. How is it? Is it it's, good? It's good, yeah. It, I mean, it tastes just, yeah, it tastes like a lick stick, you know. That's not bad. Yeah. All right, well, when you leave, I'm going to be sending you off with some of that oh, stuff. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I can give you a short description of each thing. Some of them you actually make the candy, which is fun. Is that uh, that looks like this thing? Yeah, you kind of get to make your own. Oh man, I definitely that looks incredible. I'm definitely like a little bit of a weeb. Like I'm just <laughs> kind of fascinating and into all this. Well, at least they make you work for your candy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man. So um, yeah, where should we start? What's uh? Jeez, I don't even know. Let's start with this. Yeah. Did you paint this morning? You I were did in the not. Studio? Were no. you in the studio? I did go to the studio for a little bit. I had uh, I had a sculpture coming back 
from a from a gallery in Europe. That oh, the delivery no longer no longer desired, I guess. <laughs> Found its way home. Yeah, and so I was just kind of navigating putting that away because it came in a crate that was probably like three to four times too big for it. Oh, jeez. They also sent a pedestal. Did you make the crate? No. Did you ever make a crate? Uh, I've never. Well, I have small, but. I don't know if I've made crates. I mean, I did a lot of art handling for, you know, probably a decade at least. Well, that's um, narrative bio. What's that? That's part of of a bio right Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, well, that's part of why, like, so when I got this sculpture back this morning, I was just like, I was just so annoyed that the sculpture was in a crate that's way too big for it. It's like a sculpture in a box with, like, a bunch of fucking bubble and and tissue paper around it and then it's in a crate that's like for you know like it's just way too much stuff and i mean it's it just it just bothers me because i'm just like this could have been done so much more efficiently and then there's like a pedestal that's shipped with it and the work doesn't work goes on the floor it doesn't get a pedestal (laughs) so they just sent me like a random free pedestal just in case is like i guess nice but i don't I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to like put a positive spin on it. Be like, oh, right. I'm working on these little sculptures that I want to test out. Maybe I'll put them on the pedestal and see how they look. Like, you know. never know. That might be a whole new. But most likely, it's just like something that's going to take up more of my storage. Right. Because right. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, even galleries where they have pedestals, they're like, fuck, what do I do with this pedestal? Yeah. <laughs> Try to like jam them into a corner. As yeah. And then they get beat up, and then they get trashed eventually. So it's just like, what's the point? Yeah. Did I see when I was at your studio? Did I see your sculptures? Um. I'm trying to think I don't if I saw think any. so. I had like a like a cast of a bucket on on my bookshelf, and like it's just little stuff like that. I'm really trying testing out uh, some material stuff, and then kind of you know I don't even know that I could call it a project yet, but working on these like little collections. So I have this this object that I found in my grandfather's garage. My grandfather passed away in 2016, uh, right around the election, just by chance, but. Um, anyway, like he and my grandma live out in Long Island, lived it. Well, he lived. And, uh, when I was like kind of starting to go through his garage a little bit, just to help my grandma clean up and get rid of some stuff. I found this like green prescription pill bottle with a old kind of like, um, screw in door kind of stopper. So it's like a piece of metal that goes like this with like a rubber foot on it and uh-huh. then like a screw on one end. So you could like screw it into a door and right. like make it so that it wouldn't like oh, I I don't see. Know, yes. close all the Slam way or something like that. Wall. Yeah. And so I found that as just like this combination of objects that just made no sense to me. I was just like, why is this door stopper in this like kind of green plastic, you know, prescription bottle container? Yeah. Like this is just so strange and beautiful because it was like kind of smoky and like nonsensical. And it also just to, you know, in that moment, I was like, oh, yeah, this is just so quintessentially my grandfather, who's just like this old, you know, old Italian American guy who was cranky as fuck, who would generally unpleasant, but was kind of a sweetheart from time to time, but was just like really OCD and like, like to save, <clears throat> save everything. There's a lot so of like, stuff. there's just a lot of weird, like he's got like trimmings of light, like lighting cords that he's in a, in a coffee can. He's got random screws and like another prescription bottle. He's got like, you know, plugs that he's cut off old appliances that he's thrown out in case he ever wants to like put a new plug on, you know, just like all this random shit <laughs> yeah. that you coll- that he's collected that it like in, you know, it, it probably is also like a generational mentality, like an economic mentality, right? But like, it. yeah. Recycling. Yeah. But like the reality of it is like, 
so much of it is never going to find a purpose. Like this doorstop that like the rubber is like so old that it's like cracking and kind of like gooping and melting a little bit. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, and so I was just like, all right, I need to keep this object because it's just so strange and so kind of indicative of my grandfather's kind of mental kind of like worldview in a sense. Uh, so like with that in mind, I've started collecting prescription bottles from friends and family <laughs> and trying to like figure out what objects I want to put in them. So, oh, so uh, you went with it. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I'm just like, I feel there's also something really satisfying about putting objects in little bottles. <laughs> Maybe so I'm just kind of running. In, maybe that's what he was into. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think <laughs> I'm just kind of running with it as, as kind of a way to maybe connect with him a little bit in the afterlife. Um, but so uh, that's like the extent of sculpture. I, you know, I'm doing some other kind of painting sculpture things where I'm like taking the, the dust that I collect from sanding all these things, the kind of extra scraps of canvas that I trim off, like the painting rags, and then trying to like, I'm in the middle of trying to figure out how to make like a castable substance out of that stuff mm-hmm. uh so i have a couple of tests that i've been running that maybe so when you stop by i don't know if i put in them out to you or not they're kind of just hanging in my I think at the time they were just hanging in my spray booth um but uh but yeah that's the extent of like sculpture I, like whatever like five six years ago i was making these kind of like um like hydrocal totems that were incorporating some of those same materials mm-hmm. uh but i felt like the hydrocal was kind of for lack of a better word, like except like an, an excessive material, like an excessive support, and so I want to figure out a way to just use a, a kind of more restricted group of materials to make these objects, so they're kind of more in keeping with them being paintings, if, they, if you get what I mean, at least materially. Right. Uh, so, but yeah. Well, it seems like you have like within you this does or a tendency to want to take something, you know, yeah. that add, do something, do something else to it. Yeah, exactly. That, were you like that as a kid? Uh, is that oh, coming from a deep as a kid geez. A deep place um what was your room like when you were a kid jeez oh, my room was pretty fucking messy my mom was always annoyed with me yeah um let's see I had like posters of comic book stuff and like you know baseball or basketball players that I liked as I got older I had this like cabinet with all these little like pewter figures mm-hmm. that I set up in like a kind of a scene, like a D and D kind of scene, like that kind of thing. Um, but no, I wasn't like, I, you know, it's just, I don't know. I had like a desk, you know, where I'd like draw, write, whatever, and usually just clothes thrown everywhere. And then, you know, that was pretty much it. Like yeah. nothing to, what did your parents do? Uh, it kind of shifted. So <clears throat> when I was younger, my mom, like younger, like, you know, up till five or so. My mom was, was a dancer. Uh, she wanted, she wanted to pursue like performative dance, uh, but was never really able to get traction with that. So she kind of, I mean, from what she told me, she would study a couple times a week in the city, um, with this guy who later went on to be involved in Alvin Ailey uh, and then would do like cocktail waitressing and like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my dad, when I was younger was, uh, like an electrician. My grandfather owned like an electrical contracting company. Mm-hmm. So he would do electrical work for him. As I got older, my mom, like, it was actually interesting. I saw her, she lives down in Florida now, but I saw her in beginning of November. Yeah. And she was, we we're actually kind of talking through this kind of trajectory of her, you know, 
starting to teach dance as like an after school thing at this uh at this uh middle school in the Bronx through one of her friends that she met doing like she had been working at like a summer camp, you know. I mean my mom had me when she was twenty seven, so this is her she's like early thirties, mm-hmm. I would guess. And uh so you know, it was just like she met this guy Dave who was doing like water skiing recreation for the summer camp and then he was like teaching at a school in the Bronx. So she he got her to start doing like kind of recreational dance after school part time stuff at the thing and then she was like, Oh, this is like a good way for me to have a job. I have a kid, like let me be responsible. Her and my dad split up when I was very young because mm-hmm. my dad was <clears throat> wasn't an easy guy to be around is maybe the nice way to put it. At, at least at that time in his life. Um and uh and yeah, so she ended up slowly progressing into becoming a, a teacher at, at a middle school in Co-op City. Uh, so she segued from, you know, wanting to pursue dance to doing dance as kind of like a, a side thing with kids at, at this school where she became a teacher and ended up teaching, uh, you know, like English language, uh, yeah. like language arts, that kind of stuff. Um, my dad, uh, my dad actually is now and has been for a long time. He does like holistic uh, healing work mm-hmm. and like counseling. Um, so both of my parents are involved in this new age church, which has been the thing that I've been focusing on for like maybe the last year and a half in my work, like just research wise, at least and content wise. Um, and so he, I was actually talking to him about this recently, just, you know, as part of kind of understanding, uh, my relationship to this, this organization, he got into it through, I guess he had done like, he had gotten, there's this thing called like polarity therapy. It's like I've a, never heard of it. It's like a new age healing thing where they like take a crystal on a chain and like hold it over you and like kind of do this thing. So there's like a little bit of like almost like you're being hypnotized, but then they're like kind of running their hands around your body or your head. Is it like an aura? It's kind of like that. It's kind of like they're like moving your energy, clearing blocks in your aura, like that kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, so my dad went to one of went to someone who was doing that type of work, was really into it. And I get I can't remember exactly if it, like the guy was like, Oh, you'd probably be good at this or like something like that, but he took an interest in it and then was kind of studying with someone who taught that and then went to this like went to this uh new age fair, like in the city, and met this other guy who I guess like yeah, I can't remember if he I'd have to I gotta ask him next time I see him again because I can't remember the specific if he like saw the booth for this church or if he met someone else who also did polarity who was involved in the church and then that's how he kind of got into it but through his involvement with this new age church and through his interest in that he kind of like slowly segued from doing electrical work into doing like energy balancing and like you know polarity work and you know all that and i think he did like massage work too for a little while and that kind of stuff so is new is because i don't know that much about it is new age church still rooted like deep rooted in christianity yes and no i mean that's kind of like the thing right so there's this whole uh what's like the right way to put it so the the this specific church is more so uses a christian kind of like a a christian association i think primarily because we live in a christian christian dominated society yeah i think in general, the kind of concept of it is more, uh, what's the right way to describe it? I mean, the, the guy who founded it essentially just like glommed a bunch of different ideas from a bunch of different religions and put himself at the center of it and kind of like 
posited himself as the kind of next incarnation or next iteration of <clears throat> X, Y, or Z spiritual leaders, whether right. it was, you know, Buddha, Christ, Confucius, like whoever he kind of associated himself with anybody in the, in the history of religions that could be kind of viewed in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of the mythology or terminology they use does have Christian, like, you know, association just because of its, you know, makes it more palatable. Yeah. If that makes sense. The convenience of the structure in a way too. Yeah, right? I think so. But I mean, model, the, the structure model. is this whole other thing. The structure is this whole thing that like, from what I gather is appropriated from another new religion called Ekinkar that talks about these. And then that in turn, Ekinkar appropriated from this newer strain of Hinduism that developed in India in the late 19th century, like this kind of, it's called like the Santmat tradition, which is a type of like relationship relationship to sound current meditation as like a way for achieving higher consciousness, Mm -hmm. which kind of also from, if I'm thinking correctly, correlates to like ideas of like TM, like transcendental meditation, right? Um, But so there's this whole structure of like different levels of initiation, which you access through chanting different level, different, uh, different tones and like names of God, so to speak. And so Mm -hmm. like, there'll be, you you start off with one tone, then it gets longer, then it gets longer, 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 longer until you are initiated through all these different levels. And so like, you know, I mean, did you ever, uh, you know, like, did you watch that documentary or read that book about Scientology? Like, uh, Lawrence Wright. I haven't. There's this HBO documentary called going clear. Uh So Lawrence Wright, who's like a, you know, long form, uh, reporter for the, for the New Yorker. Mm -hmm wrote this book called Going, Going Clear, where he met with uh, Paul Haggis, who was like a huge like movie uh, writer. And Paul Haggis was a Scientologist and left. And so he kind of gave, and he was like really high up in Scientology and kind of gave Lawrence Wright access to all this information about the inner workings of the, of the Scientology church. And just, talk, it, it's, there's just parallels, like this idea of like, you know, there's different levels of initiation, different amounts of money that you pay, this kind of like progress, progressive, progressive, uh, initiation levels progressive kind of like involvement you know achievement society like that kind of shit yeah um merit-based faith in a way i mean to a degree right like there's like this i don't know i i think about it more and more and it's like the idea of initiation and like leveling up is so appealing and i don't know if that's because i grew up playing rpgs or if it's because like (laughs) because our just society is like kind of structured where we're so goal oriented that we always want to be like getting up to the next thing you know or you didn't pledge a fraternity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, <laughs> Which I, is, I, yeah. It's like the know. same the same kind of like psychology behind it, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, Buying so in. So yeah, that's uh that that's like a little bit of a long-winded aside, but yeah, so my dad does work that kind of fits into that uh relationship to the world and then yeah, my mom ended up being an elementary school teacher and she eventually married my stepfather uh you know, in like the early mid nineties. And he was, uh, like a history teacher mm-hmm. at, uh, like a public high school in Nourishell. Nice. So, yeah. So when did you start? I mean, when was the creativity bubbling inside of you? Like, <laughs> you mean, you like were... what did I want to make art? Yeah. Oh yeah. Or like, I mean, D and D could lead into that. Or... Oh, uh, I mean, I think really like in third grade was when I realized that I wanted to like at least do something art related. Cause like I had this friend named Tommy Smith and he was drawing cartoons, and I thought they were really cool. And I was like, I could totally do that. That seems great. Like, I want to do that. Yeah. And so I started, we, me and him would just hang out and draw these weird cartoons. That's cool. Uh, and then from there, my dad was always, like, kind of into supporting my creative 
uh, interests, which mm-hmm. was really nice and like I'm super thankful for. And so like he put me in some after school art program in fourth grade at you know like that was taught by like my friend's mom. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I remember doing that in fourth grade, and then it's like you know I just wanted to like I mean probably until uh middle school i just was like really into trying to be a fantasy or comic book artist and like you know drawing dragons and dwarves and you know wolverine and all that kind of shit mystical awesomeness yeah just like (laughs) you know wizards and ninjas and all that kind of jazz um because that was what i was into and what i'm still into (laughs) yeah and what a lot of (laughs) yeah kids growing up i mean that sort of mystical i see with my son he loves that stuff yeah you like magic he's so into magic now wait like the performative type or the card no, game? No, Magic the Gathering. Oh, I play game. a ton of Magic the Gathering. Yeah, he loves it. <laughs> it's he so good. In. Yeah, and it's just so, you know, it's a fantasy. And all the movies, too. You yeah. Know? It's like I've never been a huge superhero comic. Like, the comics I like were more like Bugs Bunny. <clears throat> mm. I don't know, just simple, stupid, like, funny stuff, you know. Yeah. And uh, I never got into, like, the superhero stuff, but seeing it through his eyes, I get it. You know, it's just so fantastical, and it just takes him somewhere else, you know. Yeah. He's really into that stuff. I mean, also, the the kind of extent to which it's present now is so, like... I mean, the whole Marvel Universe phenomena, it's like... A new movie rolls out. So many movies, (laughs) so many TV shows. It's like, from the TV show... I mean, I guess we had that growing up too right like star wars came out they made cereal and toys and all this kind of shit but like yeah but not at this level it's like a whole different level right yeah they're they know about <laughs> the new one that's coming out like the moment the credits roll on the one yeah. before they're like you know what's coming out next and yeah then, <laughs> and the speed like they just want that next thing you know? yeah but yeah i don't know it's funny because <clears throat> that that peripheral stuff like the uh the cereals and stuff yeah it doesn't, i don't know it doesn't seem to grip as much as it did with us maybe because yeah. You know, when I was a kid, there wasn't that much to keep you busy. Right, yeah, exactly. So when you found Star Wars cereal on top of that, it was like amazing. Or like bed sheets. I remember having like bed sheets with like pillowcases with oh, yeah. R2-D2 on them. Yeah. And like C-3PO, and that was like amazing. Right. Well, because you're sitting there like in Star Wars world looking at the sheets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not right. like, let me see the new Star Wars movie on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> sleep and have Star Wars dreams. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so I, I think it's, you know, that kind of creativity. Yeah. Or like... You find the creativity in that stuff growing up as a right. kid, you know. Yeah, it's like that kind of space. Did I you mean, start drawing that stuff like dragons? And- oh yeah, I mean, I think all, I mean even to that point, like I probably started making a lot of art even more so because I was fucking bored. Yeah, you know, like boredom is the great ally of, it, of creativity. Yeah, it's and it's like it's so intense that like we don't have as much time to be bored these days, or it takes a lot more effort to like have time to be bored. Um, but yeah, so. I moved from, I lived in lower Westchester, like an apartment complex with like a bunch of kids around, this, down the other when I was younger, and then moved farther north after my mom met my stepdad, because he, he had lived with his dad his whole life. He lived with his parents, like teaching and everything, saving money, so he had enough money to put a down payment on a house. And we, where we moved, like, it was just, there were just like a lot of trees and like nobody around, and like there weren't, you know, I didn't have like a group of kids to go play like like kick the can or like yeah, yeah. you know like, football. like yeah exactly like cream the car or like just whatever dumb shit we were doing yeah i mean it was good because it was like less kids to get in trouble with too but like um i was just so bored i was just like all right i guess i'm just gonna hang out and draw like yeah. just be alone and draw like, you had to that imagine yeah you just gotta hang out and like do that and which was great you know i mean that's even like what you were talking about earlier like you know spending that time in your studio in in pittsburgh and 
just having that space where you're just like, oh yeah, cool. Like, all right, I'm here. I'm just yeah. going to like work all day. I got nothing else to do. Like that's Lose yourself. Yeah. And that it's important. Yeah. I, I think, it, <clears throat> you know, it's the people who don't do it. Don't understand why you just need some mental yeah. space yeah. to just sit and think. Yeah. And if you don't get that time, it's hard because you, it's almost like you have to empty everything out in order to put things in. You yeah, know exactly. I mean? Yeah. And when things get busy, it's it's difficult. You have to really concentrate on giving yourself that yeah. mental time to just kind of like space out and yeah. think about ideas. Yeah, exactly. Unless you incorporate your work into just <laughs> being exhausted with day-to-day stuff. You know what I mean? Like, right. But yeah, it, you need that time, that downtime. Yeah. And I don't know how... I don't, I don't know if younger people, how that Experience will that in the work. same way. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe um, they'll just become masters at being creative amidst all the amidst you know, all that information yeah and and visual you know bombardment i was thinking like i have a i have a half sister who's 13 years old and she i mean i will admit my my partner and my grandma and a host of other people give me a lot of shit for being on my on my phone more than i probably should be um but like i hang out with my little sister and she's just like snapchatting or instagramming like just like 90 stuck, percent of the stuck time to her face just like non-stop and i'm just like holy shit like what is that dynamic you know yeah. what is that kind of like filter reality and i mean like i think it's almost like what you're saying right you just like grow up fluent fluent with it and it just becomes kind of accepted i guess in the same way you know i'm sure i don't know parents talking about like the transition from tv to radio or yeah something kind of ridiculous like that well i remember growing up you know hearing the parents say like you know stop staring at that tv you know right yeah exactly tv was so awesome when it came out that you just wanted to sit as a kid right i just wanted to watch like brady bunch yeah it didn't matter what it was just sit there and look at it right it's like this is amazing yeah like it's gonna ruin your eyes you're gonna you can't think you're gonna turn into a what did they used to say you're going to turn into like a zombie or a statue or something just right. staring at that TV. My mom used to call me a idiot because I wanted to play Final Fantasy all <laughs> <Never> the time. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, yeah. That's not the subtle approach. No. That's a little judgy. Yeah. You're a idiot. Yeah, exactly. I've never heard that before. It's pretty good. <laughs> but it's fine. I mean, even that, like, you know, speaking of space for, I mean, even those old, old video games and shit, like graphically, there's so much room for interpretation and everything else, you know, which yeah. is kind of a cool space too. And they are Whatever. pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I grew up with, like, Centipede. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now you have, like, games that are just, like, how can you not be, like, amazed by what oh they Oh, my do? God. And Dude. it's so complex. Yeah. So, for all the, you know, the people harping on kids who are playing a lot of video games, yeah. you'll hear about the studies that say it actually, like, really is stimulating to their brain and they're using all this cognitive functions right and like you know interpreting things and in, in speed of like reacting to mentally to things oh yeah so you know it's all good it's all bad what's yeah. good what's bad well i mean also the great thing is now you can actually make a living playing video games That's true. <laughs> yeah a really good one if you're ninja yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, my son often tells me how much he makes a year, and I'm like, oh. oh, dude, it's absurd. Yeah, it's crazy. Those guys are making crazy money. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine. But staring at a screen that long, I would go crazy. Yeah, for sure. I need like something, you know, analog to look at once in a while. Yeah, and doing something with your, I guess. Well, I guess playing video games, you're doing something with your hands in a different way. Yeah. Well, in high school, did you did you 
Were you taking art classes and getting more into it? Oh, or yeah, was it yeah. Just background? No, 100%. Like you were into it. What did you go to high to school? Uh, I went to John Jay High School, which is in Cross River, New York. Oh, yeah, yeah. So well, this like, John Jay College, too, right? Yeah, this is just this is just like this a public high public high school. Uh, it's like an hour and a half, maybe north of the city, something like that. How was it? Um, they had an insanely good art department. I yeah. was super lucky. Like, just, just like somehow it was just really well funded. And um, it was great. Like, they had a host of different art classes. I was definitely, like, you know, trying to take a bunch of them. And uh, was it a school for the arts? Like, was it? No, it was just like a, just just a regular public high school. But they just had a really, you know, a really kind of supported art department. And, you know, I had an insanely good art teacher, like, my junior and senior year. That's uh, lucky. You know, I had, like, an AP art class. Like, they gave us paint like we had got paint to paint with in yeah. fucking high school which is just like so cool you know that's cool um but yeah no the art department was incredible you know i did a lot i i was the kid who was usually just kind of like felt awkward and was sitting on the like side of most of my friends like drawing and sketching and shit like that i was friends with you know i was kind of a stoner for at least my freshman year and then was hanging out with even though i kind of stopped smoking weed eventually but i was mostly just hanging out with kids who were like musicians and you know just hanging out and like drawing and talking and listening to Jimi hendrix or you know frank zappa like yeah. grateful dead like that kind of shit no football team there was a football team but a like you my mom didn't let me play football uh, and b you know i think i tried out for the basketball team and didn't make it and then i like ran cross country or something like that you know what i mean that's good um it was healthy you weren't dormant <laughs> no, I wasn't dorping. <laughs> but yeah, I was just, you know, I was mostly hanging out with the, you know, nerds and that kind of vibe. Which the is, freaks and geeks. Yeah, just more fitting. Because, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny, like, looking back on it now, as I've been learning more about this, like, New Age church thing in my upbringing, it's like, oh yeah, like, I had a very kind of different worldview and a different expectation based on that, uh, a different expectation of what human interaction was based on that upbringing. Yeah. Like, I remember taking people, like, to go for hikes and, like, trying to convince them to, like, feel the trees and, like, you know, <laughs> connect and have this kind of, like, ego dissolution yeah, yeah. experience because that was what I was, like, raised doing. Did and, they like, give you the side eye? They just didn't hang out with me again. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was just like, oh, it's yeah, really okay. weird, man. And I'm, like, I'm, like, really high, like, psyched on, like, having connected. And yeah, they're yeah. just like, yeah, never, like, in hindsight, like, they're just like, yeah, I'm never hanging out with that guy. Yeah, he's a fucking weirdo, <laughs> you know? He told me to listen to the trees. Yeah, man. pretty much. <laughs> you know, it's like when I was a kid, my mom would take me hiking in this area, Silver Lake, which is by where my grandparents lived at the time. And, uh, you know, she would, like, my mom... The reason I have an Islamic name is because my mom studied Sufism for a period of time and lived in an ashram and was doing this thing called zikr, which is like a type of meditative chant and dancing and all this kind of stuff. It's like whirling dervish stuff, you yeah. know, you know about yeah, them. Yeah. So my mom was like studying that and teaching that. Um, and so like as part of that background, like when we go hiking in the woods, we'd go up and we'd sit and then we'd like do this kind of like prayer meditation incantation about thanking the different forms of life and like connecting with them and being you know aware of them and all this stuff and so like you know that was kind of like bringing that into just like you know kind of normative middle class I mean whatever I had like outside of that totally norm normative middle class upbringing for the most part but like bringing that 
kind of idea and then trying to talk to people about it. like it just like in hindsight i'm just like oh yeah of course this like makes so much sense that that was just like super weird to people <laughs> right you know but like for me like growing up that's just what i grew up on yeah, like, i yeah. grew up like reading about that shit like having that, those types of interactions with my parents like having that be the kind of ideal and so like looking back and it's just like oh yeah no so yeah so but like the kids who were like smoking weed and getting stoned and like listening to like hendrix and like talking about like nature spirituality stuff were like totally in keeping with that so that's who i hung out with you yeah. know because it made more sense um so yeah but yeah the art department was great um you know i got to do photography you know obviously drawing they had some clay around and i just had this incredible incredible art teacher uh who did us like junior and junior and senior year had us do like ap art and like oil painting and all this shit and like really prepared me to you know, do a, do a portfolio for an application for art school mm-hmm. and kind of like, uh, facilitated me, <clears throat> you know, just pursuing that in a more, uh, serious way. So um, you knew, well, that's an advantage too, because you have not only someone who kind of champions your talent in a way yeah. and says like, Oh, this is a cool thing to do, but also you can do, you can, you can do that. Do yeah. this. No, I mean, my, there's some great My mom art did te- not want to hear that. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there's some art teachers who will be supportive, but yeah. they don't necessarily give you any kind of roadmap. Right, right, right. They're just like, oh, you're really good at drawing. Right, yeah, exactly. No, she was like, I mean, she had relationships with, you know, the uh, admissions people at like Micah and RISD and this, that, and the other. And so she was very conscious of like, all right, like APR, we're going to build a portfolio. This is what you need to do to apply to art school if you want to do it. Like, da 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 And like, her whole approach to teaching us art was like really tying it into... Uh, different art historical moments and movements so the projects would be connected to whatever you know we'd have like a pop art piece we'd have to do like a you know a romanticism piece we'd have to like make an abstract painting like so she'd introduce all these different kind of art historical you know western art history narrative moments to us as students and like have us make work that really had to consider them and grapple with them which has like you know a 17 year old is like an eye-opening mind-blowing experience you know um so yeah, I mean that that was super great. And, you know, fortunately for me, I had a kid the year above me who went to Cooper Union. And because of him, I found out about Cooper Union. Otherwise, I would have had no idea cuz that wasn't really on her her radar. Um and so I ended up applying to Cooper because cuz this guy Sam Kuzak, uh who's a great artist in his own right. He actually has a him and his brother run a like a production company now. They do like if I remember correctly, like all like Oliver Eliasson sculptures and all this oh, kind of cool. stuff, like really legit stuff. Yeah. I mean, he was a great sculptor too. He kind of like moved off it, um, but uh, but yeah, like he went to Cooper, and I was like, oh, that like oh, you could go there and get a scholarship. Like my mom is, you know, not. I mean, not that my mom saved money for me to go to college in the first place, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> but like I was like, oh, if I get a scholarship, then she definitely can't complain about me that going to art beneficial. school. You know, that's yeah. like that's like, well, you can't say anything because I'm paying for it, so fuck off. <laughs> right, you're paying your own way. Yeah, man, that's a, such an advantage. You got. I feel like you had a lucky school situation. Oh, I for sure. I often 100%. wonder, like, what would happen if like really amazing artists would just go teach in high schools. Oh yeah, for like sure. Like Robert Rauschenberg or like <laughs> Agnes Mart Agnes Martin's your like high school yeah. art teacher. Yeah. If you would just if they would just pump out like really great artists, right. you know. Yeah. I mean That's I think a- definitely having especially at that moment too cuz it's like everybody's trying to tell you what to do like you know everybody's trying to like formulate how, you know, what your model of like being alive is going to, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. what's possible, all that kind of stuff, you know. Right. Um, cuz I mean you know, there's just all these crappy myths out there about being an artist and how it's like 
hard to make a living or you can't like you know you can't do art and like you know live a whatever live a life where you eat three square meals a day or something you know just like all that kind of bullshit that is in the general consciousness that you know i mean for me growing up definitely butted up against that like my whole you know my dad was supportive of the idea even though i think in you know in retrospect he's told me he was anxious about it but like my mom I mean, she was like, well, maybe you could go to art school if you study graphic design, because you can get a job if you right. do graphic design, you know what I mean? Well, part of it, because she was a dancer, but she couldn't yeah, exactly. just live off dance right, all the time, exactly. so she had to get the other job. Yeah, I think I think it was just her fear of her, you know, her fear kind of from her own uh, struggles, you know? I, not, I not often wonder to the parents, the kind of parents who are like, you know, don't do something like that's going to make your life so hard by like being something like an artist. Right. Be a doctor. Right, right, right. And then let's say that kid does go to med school. He yeah. becomes a doctor. I mean, doctors are just yeah, they yeah. make money, but they're they're exhausted. like crushed work. <laughs> yeah. They're seeing the worst stuff happening. Yeah. Do the parents ever think like or is they just proud or something? Or they yeah. they feel like, "Oh, my my kid's helping other people." But I would I would think they would be like, "Oh my god, my my kid's killing himself on yeah. this job. Like, I mean, it comes down to like, I mean, that stuff is, you know, like quality of life and priorities, right? Like what are your life priorities? You know? Yeah. And is money, is money the priority? Definitely is quality like, of life. Yeah. Is, is exactly like, does that translate is, you know, is physical wealth, material wealth, like, you know, uh, translate to quality of life happiness like we all know I mean, that it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't make <laughs> to a happy. degree there's only a degree to which it does and then you know that's it it's like yeah obviously like you need shelter food and like warmth and obviously you know whatever physical comforts but like out after a certain price point like i think i'm totally blank on whatever the study is but i know there's been points where it's like there's a certain level of income where it just oh, like after 70 or eighty thousand, yeah it's like not it like is. people are any happier right exactly yeah, yeah like if you're making eight thousand a year you're yeah you're fine. you might not be happy yeah but if you're making you know if you're getting by yeah you know it doesn't mean that someone is making millions is going to be happier right exactly yeah so how was cooper uh cooper was cool it's weird yeah <laughs> it's a great place um i mean i'm still like my closest friends uh, and intellectually and creatively are people that I met at Cooper. What um, years were you there? Uh, 98 to 2002. And uh, it was just like a strange and amazing experience. I mean, it's very intense. I think, you know, tying into this idea of not realizing like how my own belief system influenced what my idea of what our school was going to be. Yeah. Uh, in hindsight, I wish I had maybe approached it differently. Like, I think I was just so focused on, like, having this romantic idea of, like, finding a mentor, or having that kind of intimate relationship, uh, you know. Is that, that from the, is that from the good art teacher? Uh, I think, may, like, maybe. I think it was also because I was, like, reading a lot of Raina Maria Rilke at the time. Oh, like, wow. that kind of shit, you yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which all stuff where I'm just like, oh, God. Like, I just groan about it. Uh, I days. read Rilke, too. But, like, I, I read that stuff. I remember I had a big book of that. And I remember reading it, but not, it didn't stick. Yeah. Like, I enjoyed it, and it was, I remember it being poetic, and I, but I just, I can't remember any of that stuff. It and was Shelley, all, like, I was reading a lot of Shelley. All that stuff's, like, so romantic and intense. Yeah. And like, Rimbaud. Yeah. Like, the idea, I mean, uh, you know, whatever, in college, I was like, oh, this is, this is how I want to live my life. Like, this is so, <laughs> and I was just like, then, like, as I got older, I was just like, 
that is entirely like fucking like I would just literally kill myself if I had to live like that right because I would just drive myself nuts and I already drive myself nuts anyway <laughs> so it's just like you know there's no way to live up to that well you have to have a vision right? yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> you have to have I, think, I think my vision you. is more and more becoming like how do I live my life like you know a little bit like Larry David um, <laughs> that's that's good <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah no Cooper was cool I mean you know it's a very intense and wonderful place to be and good you know, good the, people coming through right yeah there's a lot of i mean that that's kind of like where i have misgivings is that because i so wanted to like have a specific connection with a specific teacher i didn't open myself up to taking as many people that were like visiting artists and stuff as i probably could have in hindsight but um did you find your mentor not exactly no i mean i had some very good relationships i had a very good relationship with this guy jack barth mm-hmm. who makes just really meticulous and poetic and beautiful uh, drawings and paintings. And he was just like a very kind of like slow and thoughtful guy. Um, very kind of quirky and magical in his, in his like way of thinking. And him and his wife taught like these kind of like hybrid theory history classes that were also just like super interesting and kind of about just di- histories that were at least a little bit off the kind of like rut of traditional western kind of like art history canon stuff you know that's cool and they were looking at i mean not you know again like not too far off but like off enough where they're looking at like oh what the hell was they were looking like you know theories about ruins and like romanticism around ruins which is still part of that but like i don't know um you know just these concepts that weren't really prevalent in the rest of my education yeah. at the time, which I thought were really rewarding and really interesting. So I had a good connection with him. Um, I had a good dialogue with David True, uh, though he wasn't... It, it, you know, both of those relationships were... I wasn't really able to keep them up outside of college. Um, Lydia Donna actually had a big impact on me. Yeah. I don't know, do you know her and her yeah, work? Yeah. I don't know her personally. But Lydia is like, just she just kicked my ass. It was great. Yeah. Like, I didn't even know. Like, she was just like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? I was like, oh, well, this kind of like did it. Because I'd, I'd taken a class with, Car- actually, I'd taken a class with Carl Austin Darp. Because he had come in to, like, be our drawing professor for a semester or something. And I kind of, like, adopted his idea. You know, I'm like 20. I was like, oh, okay, this is what art is. Like, yeah, da, da, da. And Lydia was like, why? Like, she was just essentially like, you're just copying that guy. Like, fuck him. Like, do something <laughs> more interesting. Be more invested. Like, go see all these shows. Like, da, 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 da. Like, she was the first teacher, like her, and we had Stephen Ellis at the time also. And uh, she more than he did, but, like, they were the ones who were just like, you need to go to the Armory show and see what the fuck's going on. Like, how are you making paintings now if you don't have an idea what the landscape is? Yeah. You know? Um, So those people had, like, a big impact in that way. And Lydia I'm actually still in touch with, and we'll see from time to time. Does Um, she still uh, hand your ass to you? (laughs) <laughs> you know it's kind of funny like now she's like oh we're peers you know like right, we're both right. painters like we're out in the world and i'm just like you made it through i'm like i kind of wanted to just come and kick my ass i'm like yeah like i want someone to do that yeah. like everybody you know like people in new york are just everybody's so nice on studio it's like i kind of want someone to come and right. just be like tell me something sucks or it's something. so funny though because you as yeah. you know when you're a student usually you're like oh i got it I'm so tired of hearing everyone's opinion because you do get a lot of people through the studio (laughs) generally. And by the end of it, you're like, I don't want anything. And then after a couple of years, you're like, oh man, I kind of... I want some opinions. I I I kind of miss when people would tell me what to do. (laughs) Yeah. 
or just like something how the like grass that. is always greener yeah exactly <laughs> um yeah so i mean there those those were some of the professors that were super great and, and what do you and what were you doing there like what what kind of work just making painting making geez what the hell was i painting in in uh in college with lydia so at first i was painting these kind of like geometric ish like cartoon symbol-y things like flat and then she was like what are you doing like gave me all the shit and then i just started kind of segueing into this weird like you know gustin ish but like painted in kind of a more like glazy layered kind of thing yeah it's like these kind of like surrealist things and then that segued into exploring those the kind of materiality of like solvents and dryers and, and varnishes and stuff and then was making just like these kind of big flowery kind of ethereal abstract paintings through like you know mixing varnish and dryer and linseed oil with like a pigment and then like doing a pour of it and like splashing solvent into it so it disperse in these like floral kind of things and like having you know these different kind of like red elements and green elements and blue elements like that I was kind of associating with like sky and flesh and plant and these you know I mean even tying into like what I was talking about I never thought about this until now but like that kind of meditation of like different elemental components of life that my mom would have me doing like just that kind of world conception through abstraction I guess you could say through process too yeah exactly like a discovery through 100% responding to material yeah exactly listen to that tree yeah wait what's that (laughs) listen to that tree yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you know like yeah. listening to something beyond just the representation of exactly yeah and that also turned into like just these kind of like doodly symbolist paintings at the very end of my time there that correlated again to this idea of like distill like making little symbolic elements and kind of like piecing them together whether they were through this other process or through just kind of like brushy little scribbly things um yeah Geez, that is a flashback. <laughs> I can imagine that's hard too if you if you have that like <clears throat> upbringing where you ha- you're attuned to different visual sounds in a way. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like sure. you, you weren't programmed in the sort of cookie cutter, you know, growing up in the New York City area. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you yeah, had yeah. some influence that was a little outside the norm, so to speak. That yeah, for sure. So your your ears attuned to things in a different way. Your well, I think I mean I think that's why I got into wanting to make abstract painting in the first place because like especially with the mythology around abstract expressionism and the way that I was taught it in high school, it was like oh like my ideas about like you know spirituality and like self expression and like this like higher consciousness like all that ties into this kind of mythos around abstract expressionism and the way right. that. You know, especially like you're getting the light, light version of like, you know, high school art class. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, that's me. Like, that's what I want. Like, Barnett Newman, like, Mark Rothko, like, let's go. Yeah. You know? That seems like it would speak. Yeah, 100%. And so, like, that kind of model, I think, really played into how I approached, you know, painting and everything else as I kind of got older, I guess. Yeah, in the, the 90s and 2000s when people were not into that at all, man. <laughs> <laughs> We're yeah. not probably buying into what. You no, know. I was trying to like talk about quote unquote universals in college, and it just it got ugly really fast. Man, you it, that it wasn't easy for you, right? Because growing up, weird. you're hanging out with kids, and you're like, "Hey, let's go," you know, and yeah, you're yeah. trying to relate to them. And then in school, when you're making this work, and you have a certain connection to that, and then yeah, the the professors are. You know, your peers are probably like, "This is just some dude from the suburbs making these." One hundred percent. Yeah, this is like. It was a little strange. It was a little incongruous to navigate. 
do you find now because you know as artists we don't really i mean press release whatever yeah, yeah studio visits we don't really ever get to tell people what we're thinking or doing truly yeah oh. you know what i mean like yeah. one-on-one with everyone yeah, 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 yeah. seeing sure. your work do For you sure. still feel that kind of slight disconnect between you know maybe someone sees your current work and just totally misses the boat on i guess everyone has that to some yeah extent. i mean i think that's inevitable you know because everybody's coming from so many different uh worldviews and points of views and yeah but you seem a little stuff. what i'm trying to say is you seem a little deeper oh <laughs> well i mean i think i think you know i think <laughs> it's taken me a long time to develop a mode of working that both can push towards a certain kind of space that i'm interested in in art you know in an art object uh and talk through some of the processes that i think and like metaphorically at least to maybe get to some of those spaces I, I mean also at the same point like I've shifted my views on the kind of lay of the land of my upbringing as well and like kind of have a very different and more nuanced and complex relationship to it Yeah, which I think also I'm able to kind of uh, you know act out I guess in, my, in my art practice you can use that in the yeah way exactly and I mean I think specifically I mean at least for me over the last you know year and a half two years I've been researching this organization kind of more pointedly it was something that I never actually wanted to look at critically until now it was something that I was just like all right like took some good stuff away from that like I'm going to move move on like it's a little too out there for me or whatever but now I'm actually able to kind of like I don't know just something kind of clicked over the last couple years was like oh I should like I was going through sketchbooks from when I was in high school and reading some of the things that I was writing and the things that I was drawing and kind of like was like oh there's connections here between this stuff and like some of the beliefs that I was kind of raised in and I wonder what those connections are and I wonder how they shaped those feelings and thoughts that I was having at the time and I wonder how they may shape the feelings and thoughts that I have as an adult uh, and so I kind of just started trying to dig into both looking at what that content was and then also learning more about the person who created that content which is the guy who founded this organization and then on top of that trying to like kind of just understand more of what the dynamic is that's implicit in an organization like that and to contextualize it within, you know, potentially other, uh, like contextualize it within that as like a larger cultural phenomenon in the United States. Um, and so like, you know, I think, I mean, I think last time I saw you was not too long after I got back from this trip out to Utah and California that I'd taken and I went to Utah to specifically visit the area where the founder of this church was born uh, and to try to kind of like contextualize him and also verify him as both existing in that space as like a real human being and also to verify that his life story that he tells is accurate Yeah. Um, as a way of like, you know, just recognizing that the idea of this person who founded a church to have come from a place that no longer exists that is also like a humble origins like coal miners kid story yeah there was something about that that just seemed like almost too perfect from like an american myth kind of point of view (laughs) you know uh so i took this trip to like check him out and kind of get an understanding of that and to go to california and kind of see this peace center that the church owns and to do some research and be able to kind of like see some primary source materials but i also got to meet with this religious studies professor who kind of like had this just amazing conversation with her and was able to kind of get to a point in a way it was kind of funny it was almost like getting permission from someone who's 
involved in like my new religion, which is like, you know, maybe just enlightenment, kind of like rational thinking and approaching things that I don't understand. And so this professor kind of was an authority in that realm, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I was talking to her about this kind of like complex relationship that I have where it's like a lot of my worldview is shaped by these teachings, right? And at the same point, I'm also kind of like skeptical and critical of uh, the organization and person who imparted them onto me. But I'm also at the same point very thankful to have learned some of the things that I learned from it because they in fact totally helped me have a positive outlook on life and like have a wonderful way of relating to other human beings and relating to myself. And it's like, how do I <clears throat> not reconcile? Cause I don't know that I need to come to a concrete conclusion, but at least navigate that and exist in that space of kind of like that, amb- that ambiguity. Right. Right. Um, and so I bring that up because I think that is kind of where I am with that content with my work now. It's like, how do I kind of both navigate the fact that I'm making work that, does tie into you know some desire for making something that is not just me iterating you know it's not just like uh i mean you saw all the underpaintings when you're at my studio like they make all these different things that don't ever really see the light of day and they all could easily fit into like a certain kind of narrative of what painting is right or what painting is supposed to be or what painting could be but they're not what i want painting to be for me if that makes sense and I also feel like um, I also feel like painting in that way is just like not contributing towards this other goal that I have, right? Which is to create an experience for someone else that isn't just me. Like, here's my thoughts and feelings, right? Like, here's this thing that I think about, like blah blah blah. It's like, well, here's this kind of larger complex experience that I'm going through, and like, how do I? put that into an object that is two-dimensional but also three-dimensional because it's in something that exists through like a period of time right and uh how do i make a space where not only am i uh maybe not projecting in that way but also offering a space for someone to project into in a different sense like how am i creating a space where someone could actually going back to some of the stuff we're talking earlier have a moment like be bored right but maybe be stimulated at the same time how can i how can i create a space where someone can like be contemplative for a little bit in a moment where we're continually bombarded with non-contemplative stimulus you know um and how do i then also like do something that i am translating or you know transmuting all of these other kind of iterations and agitations that i have into this other object because to me that is kind of what life is, right? Like I just, I'm constantly, whatever, thinking, feeling, pooping, shitting, eating, whatever else. And all right, like that's great. And I 100% recognize that that is like a place to empathize and experience. And I love all that stuff. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have it any other way. Um, But I also kind of like in some way, and this ties back to that upbringing stuff, like I want to see that uh, kind of maybe transformed in a sense. And then I think I also... I don't know, maybe that's not even the right way to put it. it it's maybe it's like I want to see that kind of like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, turn into some kind of like harmonious thing. Like maybe that's it. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of like a little sappy, but I think, I think that's actually what it is, is like trying to take all this stuff that I find uh, confusing, conflicting, or uncomfortable and like, I don't know, kind of like get it into this like neutral void. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Which is, I don't know, maybe 
part of the goal of like meditative practice in a sense and kind of other uh, things that I was taught about when I was growing up. It seems like pretty internal in a way too. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is funny because, you know, I think the people, when people see your work, they, they probably, I mean, they get a sense of a history, Yeah, but they don't know the explicit history of what you've done. Yeah, for sure. And, um, so you're sharing these images that have that, but it's, it's very internal to your process Mm -hmm. and your, your search, you know what I mean? Yeah. 100%. So how do you feel about the, like the way that people interact or encounter your work? I think it's kind of interesting because I, I, I also, you know, I mean, as someone who is like a fan of like fantasy and like that type of kind of relationship to meaning and history, like the idea of creating a relic is interesting, right? Yeah. Creating something that is not explicitly meaningful, but maybe has the aura of, or not, that's not right, the right way to put it, but something that can have this aura of needing to be engaged with or researched or kind of like sat with. Um, I think that is hopefully something that I'm accomplishing with them. Um, as far as the other stuff not being explicit, I think it's like, it's implied, there's like a certain bit of implication, like I allow that, like the way that I title them now is kind of these run-on sentences of the various iterations of paintings that are kind of being wiped away in, in them. So there's like little clues uh, to kind of decode bits and pieces of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think that... Hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean... Uh, well, I imagine you're leaving a certain amount of it to the viewer. Yeah, well, right? I mean, I, I think it's like there's this bit of, like, space where they can interpret and find and discover things and kind of, like, play at archaeologist or geologist or something like that, which right. I think is an interesting way to interact with art objects. Um, when you're working on them, are yeah. you in that headspace? Are you in silence? Are you... Do you <laughs> listen to, you know... Uh, I think I can dep- imagine silence or like Zakir Hussein playing like a thirty-minute drum. It depends on or- which which state. Like I think usually when I'm in the painting part of it, like you know sitting there with a brush and making whatever images is gonna end up being destroyed. Yeah. Um, I'll either I mean I'm usually either listening to audiobooks, podcasts, and sometimes music. Music is usually only coming into it when I'm actually doing the active painting. Yeah. And usually that's like Aphex Twin, Jesus and Mary Chain, Bauhaus. Um, like stuff like that. That's specific. Yeah. Well, it's just like, those are the kind of things that have both like a certain level of high intense energy, but are mm-hmm. also kind of droning. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Do you like Autecker? Uh, I never got into them, but it, I know that it's like similar to, yeah, yeah, I know it's similar to that. Um, it's just your work could have a look of a kind of like some, oh, well, yeah, it's hard to describe. Yeah. It's just sometimes when I see certain <clears throat> paintings, certain, songs or bands pop into my head that makes total sense yeah, yeah. and um, a lot of times it's totally off yeah <laughs> it's like you must love john coltrane he's a really jazzy and they're like no i listen i listen to like you know whatever npr like <laughs> yeah npr <laughs> exactly um it is interesting though because i find speaking of the listening to stuff thing like i do i i do primarily listen to audiobooks though and sometimes podcasts but a lot of audiobooks and that's a that sort and when I'm working on paintings and listening to audio content, especially specifically like books and podcasts and less with music, 
and then I go back and I'm like scraping away at a painting or even prime, you know, either even like sanding into something after it's been primed and these little bits of color and brushstroke, et cetera, start coming through. I have this mnemonic trigger where I'll think of like what I was listening to. Oh yeah. Which is kind of a fascinating That's thing. That's cool. And I think a lot about the works themselves as these kind of like layers of memories. Right. Um, and, uh, and how they all kind of like, for me, the paintings have this entirely rich, like, I don't know, whatever you would describe, you know, this like depth, like three dimensional kind of like growing out behind you and in front of you. Cause it's like, I know what exists underneath all these layers. I know yeah. what each of these little kind of like clues are, you know, um, and have that experience looking at them. And that's something I would like to eventually be able to kind of incorporate other people into in some way, shape or form mm -hmm. right now. I think that's going to end up manifesting as just like a big tome of images. Cause I take pictures of all the paintings in the images. Yeah. I take pictures of each kind of iteration before it gets taken apart. Not like professional quality, just like on my phone, but yeah. I have an archive of them. Um, so eventually I'm going to make just like a book of paintings that don't exist. I think. Nice. And that'll be kind of like... Like an archive. Yeah, essentially. And that'll be kind of a way for people to maybe access that. But at the same point, like I do <laughs> kind of dream about someone taking a painting in the, one of these interstitial stages and living with it for a year and then me getting it back and like them getting it back and then it coming back and like having these kind of like this like development of history between uh, like a, another person in the work. Yeah. Like um, a pen pal. Yeah, like, sort of. Like, you know, just, just where, like, someone could, like, build up that history, that same kind of history that I have with this object, or one of these objects. Uh, but you're just going to, you're going to send it back one time, and they're going to be like, I, sorry, I like the last version better. Yeah, and then I'll just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, yeah. I mean, that's the funny thing. I was trying to, like, rope this one guy into doing that, and I think he just got impatient. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, he was just like, just send me a different painting. <laughs> it was just like... Give me uh, something else. Yeah. He was just like, this is taking too long. I was just like, well, that, that's the point. <laughs> the point is that it's going to take too long. You have to have patience. Yeah. Patience is a, f a fading art. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, what do you, how can people find out about you, your work, and what you're up to and what you have coming up? Oh, uh, I mean, I have a website. It's just kadarbrock.com. And I have my Instagram, which I continually consider deleting again, but haven't which is just Kadar underscore Brock underscore studio. Sure. It's just like, it's just all, that makes work, sense. It's all work related stuff. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. don't No personal, no, no personal selfies. Stuff. No, not at all <laughs> on the beach. I went and like deleted all personal content off Instagram when I, like I, I took a two year break from Instagram yeah. after they switched to an algorithmic populated feed. Right. Right. And started putting ads in. Yeah. Um, just because it seemed, well, Facebook counter to why it. I wanted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like all that stuff. And, uh, and then I came back to it last, last March, I guess. Mm -hmm. Cause I had like, I had some work at not, and I was like, I should use this to advertise. Like it's, I accept that it's an advertising platform. If I use it as an advertising platform, that's fine, but it's still kind of such a weird little incipient, uh, like entity, you know, like this morning, like, I don't even know. I'd like, saying to Jacqueline like she's feeling this cold that I was talking to you about mm -hmm. and I was like oh do you want me to get you some orange juice and then like open up Instagram to see if I have like any messages or anything like that and like scroll down three things and I have an ad for orange juice and I'm just like what is going on either either it's listening to me or 
the scarier thought is that I'm that fucking predictable based on like what I buy, do, and view. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which ties into a whole host of other things that we've seen play out in our social and political world over the last couple of years. We can, we can check after. I'm pretty sure Instagram has your access to your microphone settings. So I, I, I specifically do not give them access. You sure? Yeah. They'll find a way. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean, that's the part that freaks me out. They like every time it's like, you know, I don't use the story feature because they want access to my microphone. I'm like, right. I don't want to give them access. But uh, who the fuck knows? Um, but yeah, anyway, that that's how. And then I, I have a show coming up in September, actually. So nice. I work with uh, this gallery patron who's in Chicago, mm-hmm. and they're actually renting a space on the Lower East Side to do a do a solo show for me in New York, which that's I haven't great. done a fucking solo show in New York in like it'll be six years. I think. Wow. Yeah. People will come out. I hope so. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, Patreon, and then the address and all that stuff you'll update. Like, when that happens. Oh, yeah. When that happens, I'll, I'll have more information. I have no idea. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming over. Thanks for having me. This is cool. cool. Yeah. <laughs>